Hey, welcome back everybody. Welcome to Director Showdown. Uh, this week we uh, checked out Steven Spielberg's 1977 alien adventure film, I guess. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, I'm here, uh, as usual, with my uh, Kubrick apologist, uh, air quotes friend, uh, Adam Dauphin. What's up, Adam? How you doing? Love you too, baby. <laughs> uh, and this week we are joined by our good friend, uh, John Caceres. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? Glad to be here. It's pretty fun. Yeah. So um, Brent had a great, great idea on asking um, like the guest... Um, since this is a director showdown, um, how do you feel about both directors, about Kubrick and Spielberg? <clears throat> well, um, oh, shit. I mean, this is kind of hard. I mean, they're to me, they're almost like apples and oranges. They're really mm-hmm. different directors. I mean, they're both great in their own in their own uh, their own little field. Um, I I don't know if I prefer one or, or over the other. I, I feel like I haven't actually explored their filmography, like you know, as uh, to know which one's better than the other, mm-hmm. um, but as far as like both, you know, they're you know they're pioneers of what they've of what they've done. Um, especially Spielberg. Spielberg is probably um, you know one of the I feel like founders of New Hollywood. Especially like you know um, he came into the rise of like you know or he came to power I guess in in a way during <laughs> during uh, the seventies, which is like you know that that you know a lot of people came into power during that part during that time, like Coppola and uh, Scorsese and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubrick, that was a big time for Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like a revival almost of, mm-hmm. of shit. Um, Kubrick, uh, I don't know. Kubrick, shit. No, we just go on the other on the other end for Kubrick. Kubrick is just a whole different story because he's been doing it since. I mean, he's been doing it for a while. Like Late shit. 50s, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's he's pretty crafty out there. Yeah, so I mean, uh, this is so he, he he means that Kubrick is a superior. <laughs> I don't know in every, like, in every way. That's uh, what I interpret. Well, that King's from. I I caught that uh, King Spielberg came to power. Um, Do they have kings in the Jewish culture? I wasn't, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure. Let's not even get into that. Um, yeah, the, the king of old, of new Hollywood. I'm going to have to do a, uh, a response video on how I'm not a anti-Semite. Not an anti-Semite, yeah. You're going to get attacked yeah. <laughs> by the... the Alt leftists, the alt leftists. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like like we said uh, this week, we checked out uh, Spielberg's uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, this is uh, yeah, episode five. Now we're in the third Spielberg movie. Previously, we did uh, we opened with Raiders. We started oh, with sorry. Raiders. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, and then we did uh, Munich. It's a very different movie. Wow. Then, yeah, and then this is kind of going back to, I guess it'd be, well, it's more of the, the Raiders era, mm-hmm. I yeah. guess, of Spielberg. It's like young Spielberg where he's kind of trying to trying to figure out, you know, what he wants to do. And, uh, yeah, so. Well, before we kick off, I guess, um, I'll give, um, I pulled up uh, IMDb of the summary of mm-hmm. uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind because obviously they're going to do a better job than we ever will in explaining the summary. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> this was uh, written by Huggo, by the way, in case uh, that's the username of the guy. Oh, I was this. like the, <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yeah. Shout out to Huggo, guys. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Huggo. Way to way to go. <clears throat> Two parallel stories are told. In the first, a group of research scientists from a variety of backgrounds are investigating the strange appearance of items in remote locations, primarily desert regions. 
In continuing their investigation, one of the lead scientists, a Frenchman named Claude Lacombe, incorporates a... What is it? Codali? I don't know what that is. Method of music education as a means of communication in their work. Oh, the deaf children, essentially. That that bit. Whatever whatever that... How you pronounce that term. The response, in turn, at first baffles... Baffles... (laughs) baffles the researchers until American cartographer David Laughlin deciphers the meaning of the response in the second electric company lineman and family man Roy Neary and single mother Jillian Guler was that her name? oh yeah her his uh, the mom the single mom are among some individuals in I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these words. Muncie, Indiana, who experienced some paranormal activity. That's a good word to use, paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. Be, before some flashes of bright lights in the sky, which they believe to be a UFO. Roy becomes obsessed with what he saw, unlike some others, especially in some form of authority, who refused to acknowledge their belief that it was a UFO and not wanting to appear crazy. That obsession, both for Roy and Jillian, is ratcheted up a notch when they begin to have a vision of a mound with a ver- vertical striations? Striations. Striations. Yeah. yeah. On its side. Maybe I shouldn't be doing the summary. I'm very terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, even more than that, it's not really the summary. It's just, I feel like with last week, too, these are very thorough yeah, very summaries. Thorough. Like, yeah. like, hey, here's the entire movie laid out in like two paragraphs. I I don't know. They do it really well. Yeah. Uh, ver- vertical striations on its side as a key to what's going on. While the obsession negatively affects Roy's life as he knows it in its entirety, Jillian knows she has to find the answer to its meaning, especially as it relates to her only child, three-year-old Barry Guler, who may <laughs> who may be more attuned to what is happening than the adult figures around him. Kids Ooh, know better. Interesting. These two stories have potential to intersect if Roy and Jillian can discover where they've seen that mound before and if they can overcome what they believe to be the lies perpetrated by those in authority in covering up what's going on. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you for that very thorough uh, summary. It's a pretty good summary, yeah. I liked it. Um... So, uh, so let's let's get into uh, some trivia. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, John, did you did you uh, <clears throat> rush it up some uh, some cool little facts? I did actually. Um, well, I'll start with um, the fact that this movie has three different versions. Mm. Um, apparently, um, the theatrical version was you know rushed out. Like he wanted to have it out in the summer of, of seventy eight, mm-hmm. and the studio was like, no. Actually, Columbia was going broke because of this movie. <laughs> So they wanted to basically... Um, the country? Columbia Pictures, actually. Oh, close. Okay. Uh, Columbia Pictures was going broke because... Well, a, a multitude of reasons. But the, mainly this movie wasn't helping because this movie went over way over budget and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get it out the same year as Star Wars. Um, Star Wars it came, came out earlier that summer and they rushed it to be like, you know, I think a November, December release of that year. Oh, that's um, right, yeah. Spielberg did want six more months to work on it he wanted to uh, release it in 78 but they didn't have actually let him do that 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know that he eventually ended up doing a director's cut in the 80s. I think it's the late 80s. I'm not sure where that is. Yeah, but, I know. <clears throat> so, yeah, there was the original theatrical mm-hmm. version. Um, and, yeah, he didn't even like that version, yeah. essentially. So what mm-hmm. this is, te- what, you know, what I found online here. Um, let's see. So, yeah, three years later, the company allowed Spielberg to, quote, air quotes, finish the movie under one condition that he showed the inside of the mothership. And so that was the collector's edition. And essentially, uh, yeah, which would give the studio's marketing department an angle to sell this new version. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. like, Hey, this time you can see the inside of the mothership. And meanwhile, Spielberg jerk off motion was like, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but it Kubrick would to, never have allowed that to happen, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to, you know, yeah that uh he would have never allowed the jerk off motion either (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so yeah and he was unhappy with the scene and he cut it later for the Mm -hmm. collector's edition home video release interesting yeah but yeah his his director's cut which came out finally in 98 is like one is the version we saw and then two is like obviously director's cut it's the one that he wanted people to see right exactly it was his original vision from Mm -hmm. the start yeah and it it kind of, you know, it took him a while to get there since this movie was like in 77, almost like 20 years to get to his yeah, original vision. But that's pretty cool. Um, another thing is that he wrote the script to, he wrote the script to, um, actually to uh, wish When You Wish Upon a Star, which is, you know, the uh, Pinocchio song, which there's an actual Pinocchio reference in this movie now. I caught it for the first time watching it just now. I think I, that could I have heard, been. Uh, yeah, exactly. The theme mm-hmm. at the end when they're like flying oh, yeah, away. Yeah. The, uh, when you wish upon it, yeah. Well, now yeah, sorry, it's it's hard to like distinguish. And I was like, wait, what is happening? This is a Disney movie, I and guess. That's but, that's yeah. What, what's the kind of history behind that? Well, he just he thought like he he wanted that that song influenced the writing of the script. Like he said, he wanted to have he wanted to have the feeling that song made him feel into this script. And it they, oh, the song actually really makes makes um you know it, it makes appearances throughout the movie. I think he has like some sort of Barry has. I don't know if it's Barry or. Roy or Dreyfus's character has something that plays when you wish upon a star, like in a music box type of like, you know, uh, type of melody. Mm -hmm. Um, He also actually wanted that to play over the credits, but he was denied permission to play that over the credits. Um, He got his wish in the special edition um, over the credits. um, John Williams did compose um, when you wish upon a star, like, you know, a a version of that for the credits, Mm -hmm. but the director's cut version that we just saw, you know, takes it out and puts in the original score for well, that that's um, strange for that credits I mean, that's a little strange like on the director's cut on mm. not having what he what he originally wanted yeah exactly uh, maybe he just probably felt different like in 98 like i don't know maybe he didn't want to uh, that's kind of weird too i always thought that was weird because he got his wish in the special edition and then in the director's cut hey, he kind of just wished upon a star for that <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah i'm gonna do that anytime you make a bad joke <laughs> <laughs> um no, yeah, like when because I I had no idea either, and like I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I love this movie; it's one of my favorite of his. And like when you told me that, it's like, I mean, it's it's I don't know. Like I just found that out, and that seems weird to me, and I can't picture it now. But when you say that that inspired, like that feeling inspired this movie, I could definitely see that because like just the idea of like this magical like like curiosity that's like kind of right. That, that's kind of what that. The entire um, film is like that, like you know, has that entire that yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that's kind of the theme of that song too. So I could, I could kind of see mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I feel like it, it kind of, I don't. That's kind of weird because, like, I don't, I don't know 
what the the internal motivation of or i guess i know what the internal motivation of richard Dreyfuss's character which i feel like is the main character of this movie between all these like parallel storylines that are going on mm. um i feel like um it kind of covers his arc because like you know he kind of he's kind of alienated the entire movie like even beforehand he doesn't seem like he's a really happy guy he's kind of like this man child um in his family he's kind of like almost the the black sheep of his own family and he's like the father of like three kids and shit yeah and that brings up an interesting thing i wanted to talk about like i've read about uh this movie is spielberg has talked a lot about he made okay so he made this movie uh before he was married before he had kids Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is so apparent when you watch this movie because it's this guy who has all that but he's so He's not interested in it. Even at the beginning, he's right, like yeah. putting up a fight. He's like, "We can see Pinocchio." Hey, when you wish upon a star. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I just corrected that. Um, and like, you can just kind of see how he's like doesn't seem interested, and then kind of that you just he doesn't seem interested in his family. Not like, at all. Yeah. The movie, and yeah. then at the end of the movie, he fucking leaves his entire family behind and loses them along the uh-huh. way, and like. And that was considered positive in respect exactly. to the Yeah, movie. yeah, exactly, yeah. In the context of the movie, this is our hero. That's a triumphant moment. The, at the time, that was like, he was like, yeah, of course I would leave my family for you know to go with the aliens. I mean, we and, were even joking about that the entire time he was doing it. It's like, he doesn't give a shit about his family. Yeah. You know? And then... And it's like, oh, no, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and then, it seems so comedic in this in the sense. Well, and then, uh, yeah, what's really interesting about that is cut to five years later. Spielberg's married and has a kid, and has a kid, yeah. And then what does he make? E.T. Mm-hmm. And so you can see, and like he he partially wanted to make E.T. because like he had changed as a as a person, mm-hmm. and then he wanted to make something that kind of reflected his attitudes on family. Right, and a right. Movie more, so that's that's kind of what led to ET happening. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was like a really interesting bit of like Spielberg's personal history. I mean, I understand that you know the the certain um, jaded uh, perception that Spielberg had because I think you're referencing like he he had a a childhood of a of a divided family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just wish yeah. that it, it was just too. It was too black and white in the, in this film. Like the mm. perception of family in this film was, it's just a fucking mess. Like it sucks. Mm-hmm. Like it's just um, even even the single mom, the kid wanted to get away from the mom. Right. Yeah. You know, you didn't care about that. that well, mom. I, I don't. <laughs> I guess I don't, so. Yeah. I don't. I think that's. I'm just getting... saying. I'm just saying. Well, I know it's a little bit. It's a joke, but yeah. I, what I'm what I'm saying is also that I wish there was a little bit more. Maybe just a just like a minute of of solid regret about what he was doing, you know, right? Like just yeah. a little bit, just a little bit. Well, this is where he just actually thinks, "Oh man, I just like screwed up my entire family life." Yeah, and like I I don't want to get too ahead of like context of the time, but it kind of ties into context of Spielberg at the time. Like, think about it. This is a single guy right. just coming off of fucking Jaws. Like, this isn't a guy who gives a shit about, like, having a family and settling down. This is, like, at, in, at I, I just picture at this time in his mind, he was like, I'm a fucking rock star. Right, exactly. Like, how can you want this life? This life is chaos. And, like, who would want crazy kids running around just being maniacs? It's mm-hmm. like, when there's all of this magic out there. like No, I, I understand know. that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was just saying, just just one little thing. I agree. Just I do one agree. little thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, 
Because even yeah, even when I rewatched it, just hasn't because I saw it as a kid and just you know. Because so it. it was just very comedic on how it was mm-hmm. played off. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, there's okay. there's a scene where he um it's that scene where he's in the living room and he had just built this fucking mountain out of like garbage and fucking the dirt. Yeah, and he's actually talking to his wife and crying. You know, he's about to cry. I guess like you know, his wife's telling him that he's you don't hear the aud- the audio from the wife, but his wife is basically saying he's she's gonna leave him. And as soon as he like, you know, he's crying, he hangs up the phone. And as soon as he looks at the TV and sees the mountain on TV, the the thoughts are gone. Like it's, <laughs> he yeah, does not care about like, his family at all after he that. He snaps back into yeah obsession that's mode. Not yeah. important. This exactly is what's yeah important. And I don't know. I can, but then again, I can I can kind of relate to that. It's like I I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't leave my family. But at but I would if I was in his situation and I felt like this drive. And after I saw these floating lights in the sky right i would fucking i would like give up my job i'd give up shit to fucking like find out the truth of what that mm-hmm. is and kind of you know what i mean yeah yeah definitely. so i can relate to at least some but there, then, there's no um moral um consequences to the actions that he took in the film there was no repercussions except for them just driving away we don't know what happened to the family we don't know like mm. how they handled um, <laughs> all that yeah i mean like they're they're literally scarred like they can't go back to all the f- people that they know and just like and everything is just they're screwed no and you bring yeah yeah you know you're what? totally that right makes, actually yeah that makes me think of something okay so there's a very depressing take on this movie where okay so view this movie through that family's eyes uh, your dad starts going. Okay, so I'm I'm the kid who was crying at the dinner table in that scene, and it was heartbreaking. <laughs> your dad's losing his mind. Your dad's throwing shit through the windows because he's fucking losing his mind. Uh, your mom throws you in the car. You're just confused with your three other siblings. Uh, you like go to grandma and grandpa's house, and then your dad fucking just disappears, and you never see him again for the rest of your life, and you don't know where he went. And he's probably <laughs> dead. Right, yeah. Right? Exactly. And if he does come back, he's probably you're probably like 30 years old and he hasn't aged a fucking like day <laughs> like when, when he exactly. comes back. Exactly. Exactly. No, but just like in those kids minds, he went insane and probably got himself killed somewhere. Honestly. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, that is a really <laughs> Yeah, right? God damn. Maybe like Spielberg guy. was probably thinking on both ends of the spectrum then like you know his parents were divorced well, like at, it, at a young that age makes, that leads me to believe that man this this movie is like very cynical for spielberg like i feel like and he said this before and i've like read stuff um about how getting a family and having kids really influenced his filmmaking and you can definitely see that in this movie right you know? so i don't know i just thought that was a really interesting kind of aspect of this movie he's also said too like he's gone on record saying that um had he made he hadn't obviously like you know he didn't have kids when he made this movie but he said like if he had kids like you know he would have never like you know he had had he gone back and done things again he would have never had uh richard dreyfus gone off and like leave his family because he's like that's he would right. uh, yeah, he said he's right. like he would never do that and he's like so he would never you know he couldn't relate to that back then but now he does and he's like yeah i would never leave my family yeah, <laughs> like at uh, all cut to uh director's cut 2017 yeah 2017 uh, <laughs> they they rewind it to where uh richard dreyfus walks backwards uh, out of the ship and then his family's waiting there for him. yeah <laughs> so cool. so instead of doing what kubrick would do 
we should do what 2017 Spielberg would do oh. <laughs> for Close Encounters. I feel I still feel like guy. 2017 Spielberg is still like a little too optimistic, and um, not that saying that Kubrick was cynical, but like you know, I mean, I'm trying to search for like a more proper word for that. But like I, Spielberg's all of Spielberg's movies, except for his other, one, you know, except for the ones that aren't, are very like are very optimistic. Like they're super, if anything, sentimental too. Like. Um, they all have like a positive outlook on things at the very end. Even, even like, I guess even the, um, getting into his other alien films, like, uh, war of the worlds or something like, you know, mm. that's a very bright, upbeat ending for that's, what yeah. the whole movie was like, you know, so but yeah, I mean, we can, we can move on to, um, signature moves of, uh, Spielberg. Well, actually, just before we do, there's, there's some more interesting trivia. I kind of wanted to, uh, just run through, man, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of, of really this, yeah, for this movie. Shit, yeah. Honestly, like it's hard to just nail down. Um, I wanted to talk about the ch- the kid actor, um, K- Carrie Guffey. Mm-hmm. He played Who Barry. Plays Barry. 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 Guiler, I guess. Uh, the kid, like the little boy you think of when you think of this movie. Um, so every scene that he was in was like manipulated somehow mm-hmm. uh, with like Spielberg or somebody. Um, so. To essentially to get the reaction that they wanted. So they're like, when you watch this movie, it's like, man, this kid's great. And the reason why is, uh, so essentially to get the boy to react to the aliens off screen, were they fooling this boy into thinking yeah, like it was real? Exactly. Yeah. Spielberg had Guffy walk up to his mark where unbeknownst to the little actor, uh, two crew members were dressed as a gorilla and a clown standing behind cardboard blinds. When Guffy entered the kitchen, Spielberg dropped the first blind revealing the clown to scare him. And then dropped the other blind to reveal the gorilla, which scared him even more. The gorilla then took off his mask, revealing the film's makeup man, Bob Westmoreland, who Guffy recognized, causing him to laugh and smile in the final take. The things you could get away with in uh, 70, what, 77? Oh, yeah, right? Like, like, I, don't know. Like, I don't know if you're gonna, they're going to they're gonna allow that yeah. nowadays, tricking <laughs> a child like that. <laughs> I, I just I just think it's really that's like pretty ingenious to like get a good uh, reaction, reaction out of a kid. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so to get a shot of Guffy reacting to the aliens first approaching uh, the Geiler house, Spielberg slowly unwrapped a present for the young actor just off camera, making him smile. Guffy even exclaims "toys, toys" in the final take, which you remember, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes sense for the story too. Like it's really, really smart of him to to use that method. Definitely. That's cool too, because like kids' reactions are like, they're either very bad or very good. Like I, I was just watching what fucking Space Jam the other day, and it's a fucking terrible. You were you were casually watching Space Jam. It was on like cable. It's it was on cable and it was really late at night and I didn't want to change uh, the channel. That's all you need. But really. um, perfect comedy. The funny thing, like the kids' reactions in that movie. There are some kids in that movie and the reactions are super. Like you can totally tell that someone behind the camera telling them like say this and then they say it. And for the kids' reactions in this movie, like, you know, that it's it's great. Like, you know, you can totally tell he's looking at something. And All right. Well, like, okay. Let's talk about the dinner scene where dad's going crazy, Roy. Yeah. And the the kid the kid um, to his right was was te- was crying. Yeah. That Tears I haven't found falling. anything on yeah. that. I don't think that. No, I, I just looked it up right now. Oh, okay. And apparently uh, Spielberg drove a knife into his foot. And he was crying the whole time. Is that real? No. God damn okay, it. God damn it. I was like, <laughs> I was like wait, what the fuck? I, I had not heard anything about that scene. Um, that would be amazing, you, Your though. face, I wish I recorded you. You're like, wait, 
Not Spielberg. Not a knife. Not, <laughs> not <my> Spielberg. <laughs> no, but but yeah, I mean just just before we move on from trivia, like there's I want to cover like just some of this stuff. So Spielberg uh, first offered the part of uh, Roy Neary, uh, Richard Dreyfus. Dreyfus's part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to actor Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. which he was almost in Barry Lyndon, right? He was one of the yeah, guys. Yeah, he was. That he was, was on, one of the so short list. Yeah. That's kind of why I wanted to bring it up, too. Um, who turned it down because he said he couldn't cry on cue, mm-hmm. uh, something he saw as essential to the character. Wait, so, have, has Steve McQueen ever cried in any of his films, uh, ever in life, I doubt it. I know. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Yeah, it's like it, it literally tarnishes cool. the memory of Steve McQueen if he, if he uh, cries. This this is fascinating. So then Spielberg then went to Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, oh my God. and James Caan, who all turned him down as well before asking his friend Richard Dreyfus, who previously worked on him, uh, with him on Jaws. Mm-hmm. So he's basically like the seventh guy he asked. And uh, <laughs> he finally got a lead. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, Dreyfus, uh, I went through the cream of the crop, and I guess, I guess you're up, buddy. Richie, come on, let's go. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, he's he's great. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty awesome. He was he was sure good as an insane person. Yeah, a crazy, crazy, crazy yeah, man. I mean, well, and then seeing it as an adult, he he is hard to relate to. Like he's hard to relate to as a human because it's like, because you relate to somebody by their inner, like their interactions and their kind of like stories with, you know, the people in their lives. And yeah, do you have something there? I have a quote that Spielberg on casting Richard Dreyfuss. Spielberg says, and I quote, uh, I think in casting Close Encounters, what I was really looking for were for actors who were still closer to their own memories of their own childhoods. Richard Dreyfuss was a bigger kid than the children he was raising in the suburban house. Which I get that. I get that totally. Like he, he That's what I said earlier when we were watching it. I was like, he's. I, I made a joke about Richard Dreyfuss' wife in that movie. Like she likes man children because Richard Dreyfuss is kind of basically like a almost Simon Pegg-like man-child the entire movie. Like he's mm-hmm. kind of like he has these petty arguments with his wife and like, you know, um, you know, teases her and says like everything's gonna be all right or just avoids the fucking like you know problem when she's she's getting very serious and so i was thinking like yeah he's kind of like his his kids like you know his he's not very much grown up and so like that that kind of you know spielberg said that and it's pretty it's pretty awesome that that helped him you know cast well, him into the that, role um, that coincides with the whole um reason that he was totally cool with going on that spaceship because mm-hmm. he's a kid. Yeah, mentality yeah. of a child. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't care about mm-hmm. the consequences of those around him. Mm-hmm. Total right. selfishness. He's all, he, yeah, yeah, he's all about wonder and well, just like, you know. So, Richard Dreyfus is Steven Spielberg in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just cut out all the bullshit. That's what's happening. Because Steven Spielberg is like that childlike like that's always not not in all of his movies but that's certainly a type of some of his movies is like he's he sees through like a child's eyes in these situations Mm -hmm. and like you look at jurassic park he captures wonder like really well this movie is in the same vein Uh, i picked it over jurassic park just because i bad idea uh, (laughs) i i have more of a fondness for this movie than jurassic park triggered honestly (laughs) but i mean it's it's all in that same vein and i can definitely see how he puts that into his his main character you know Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so it's all about that childlike wonder you can totally tell spielberg has some unresolved issues or maybe he just loved his childhood a lot and so that's probably where most of his characters come from yeah yeah 
Or maybe he didn't. I mean, he's I mean, yeah. a big old baby. And he sucks. <laughs> I mean, he did produce a Transformers movie, which is just about toys. Oh, don't really. Tell me that. <laughs> don't soil the idea. You're just like you. you <laughs> um, but yeah, just like I guess one last trivia thing. I thought this was interesting. Uh, it was almost a ridiculously different movie. So <clears throat> essentially, his first story outlined uh, involved UFOs and shady government dealings following That's the right, Watergate yeah. scandal. Yeah. So that went down, and then essentially <clears throat> it became a script entitled Watch the Skies. Uh, the idea involved uh, a police or military officer working on Project Blue Book, uh, Air Force's official study into UFOs in the 1950s and 60s, uh, who would become the whistleblower on the government cover-up of aliens. Uh, there were numerous rewrites. The writer of Taxi Driver uh, wrote a version of it. Paul then, Schrader. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and yeah, eventually, oh, Spielberg rejected it. And then obviously this version he wrote himself. Like, yeah, exactly. Like his version. So I just thought that was interesting that it was almost like this much darker kind of. Almost like thing. had nothing to do with UFOs, just about the cover up of UFOs. Like it was yeah. a very government, um, heavy movie as opposed to the just like, you yeah. Know. So instead let's go over to historical context since we're already there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, since this was made in 1977, and it was interesting when you were talking about the Watergate scandal, mm. I don't, I don't recall what year that was, but it had to be before it had to be mid 70s. Mm-hmm. Was it like before mid- this, obviously? Yeah. So there was a lot of um, maybe early 70s. There must have been a lot of mistrust in uh, in government mm-hmm. because uh, beforehand, of course, it's like you. What would the government's on our side? Yeah, the kind of honeymoon period of Mm. 1950s and the government knows everything. They're the best. And then with with that scandal, you know, a whole bunch of distrust. In Vietnam. In Vietnam. Mm. And uh, I could see how uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind can has that has those undertones to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the. With the most kind, the kindest military I've ever seen in a movie, but yeah, they're still trying to cover up. And um, I mean, there's a whole press scene in the movie where there's they provide like the the top brass in the military were providing all these reasonable explanations of no, of course not. Blah, Was blah, that blah. the military? Yeah, the okay, top I, brass. I, I don't know if I caught that. That was like the military hosting that. Open. They they had like a press conference about the the UFO sightings, and they were saying how oh look at all the look at all the people with um, all these cameras and there hasn't been any sort of uh, photographic evidence of you know uh, extraterrestrial life forms and all that. But so. I that main guy I really liked. <clears throat> Um, I really liked how like understanding he was and how logical he was where he was like, believe me, I believe like he, he basically flat out says like, I believe right. in aliens too. I've been, I've been trying to figure out what these things are for 15 years. They're not, you know, what you think they are. Right. And, uh, basically like trying to meet them like in the middle basically. Mm-hmm. So I just, I thought that was a really cool. And so- he gets, yeah. He gets called out by Richard Dreyfuss's character too. He's just like, you're just being passive. You're just agreeing with us so we can calm down and, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty yeah. cool scene, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I I feel like that those were a lot of the methods that the government must have used during <laughs> that time during the mm-hmm. whole um, Watergate scandal, or even Vietnam, just just as well. Yeah, and then and well, and then you even have uh, you know when they when they pinpoint the location, and there's that entire scene of them basically like 
how are we going to keep people mm-hmm. out of this? Yeah. Like, how can we like manipulate the truth? And like, how can, how can we uh, make some alt facts about, uh, you know, essentially what's going on here to mm-hmm. uh, keep people out of this area? And they're kind of like, oh, a virus, say, uh, and then they, they settle on, you know, this train carrying uh, some kind of like virus toxin or, or something. Toxin yeah, or something yeah, exactly. Releases into the air and you're going to get poisoned and die. And then, <clears throat> and uh, the um, when they were tracking down uh, Roy and the the other the woman, mm-hmm. um, they would they wanted to uh, stop them from progressing to find out the <clears throat> research facility. Mm-hmm. So they're saying just release the was it Easy Twenty or something spray? Yeah, Easy Forty or something. And like I, that. and it was very reminiscent of Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. Like there is there is mm-hmm. no way that was not. Um, an obvious allusion to agent orange the helicopter mm-hmm. releasing the gas like I, yeah. I can't see anything more obvious well, than right that. yeah and that that leads to something i was thinking about is that i i like that this movie doesn't have any bad guys mm-hmm. it's like there there are people who are covering things up because they think it's you know for in people's best interest but even even when you hear that, you see you know you hear them say like the easy forty, and you're like, oh, are they gonna poison people? Or they, did they kill these cattle? You find out that like, oh, it's this like sleep gas, sleeping basically. agent, yeah. And I just really like that, and then that kind of leads to um, when they make the first contact, like with the aliens, and it's not like this big military thing where in every other movie. The military's like in the first, background. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The military's always there. The, and because uh, <clears throat> that they, makes fucking sense to do that. I mean, yeah, it, okay, <laughs> it so totally I does. does. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I like that this movie is a version where it's like scientists, artists are there making first contact. I just think it's a nice change in what you usually see in those types of oh, scenes. Definitely, I don't think I've ever. Um, I recently saw this movie like for the first time ever. Like, um, and so just. It was so weird to me how like how positive this movie was when it came to alien invasions. I was trying to think of another like pause other than you know that recent one that just came out, Arrival, which we'll but, talk about. Um, absolutely. But it's really hard to find an alien film that isn't about an invasion, and so or at least like you know super out there. Well, those movies rely on the tension of. We, they might be here to destroy us, right? I don't know. And this movie has such an optimistic. You know what? This movie boils down, I think, something that we've talked about a lot, which is the difference between Kubrick and Spielberg. And Kubrick being kind of a bit of a cynic and a pessimist about it. Yeah, the exactly. Movie. Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me, because okay. I'm going to bring this, I was about to bring this okay, up anyway. Yeah, go ahead. 2001, the aliens were not antagonistic. They were not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Not at all. They were more of, ju- they were, in fact, they were, they were more of, um, they were better than the aliens in uh close encounters they actually progressed mankind yeah so i mean i well, don't but I there's don't know. there I, is an antagonist in the, the 2001 cyni- though the cynicism that is derived but it the, comes from humanity. the cynicism the cynicism the cynicism comes from the humans being <laughs> terrible yeah, that's two thousand one. Yeah. This movie has the opposite thing though. Like the humans aren't being terrible in this one, like at all. Like you know, there are some some moments where where at least to me, like you know, there are some moments where that we're like you know, you get that <laughs> you got that very passive uh, army general who is just being like ah, it's just coincidence, um, yeah. which is kind of like the closest thing to an antagonist this movie well, has. That, that general is a cynic. He doesn't believe oh. in humanity, 
And Definitely, but it's not yeah. as cynical as like as a as a Kubrick Kubrickian like you know, like you know, human does this to themselves and stuff like that. Like it's, or at least I mean, in the no, in the I, case of like Hal, like in Nine Thousand, in that case, like you know, yeah, it's not as cynical as as that because it never gets to that level, and so okay, yeah. I, well, I well, I mean, Hal is the most human out of all characters, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different episode. I'm just saying, I'm yeah. trying to defend defend my honor here. Yeah, but. no, I mean that that is a really interesting point. 2001 because um even as as this movie opened we were all sitting there like 2001 reference mm-hmm. because because no, there's yeah. this build-up there's like this crescendo um, a score with a yeah. black screen for about 20 30 seconds and it's like okay i see and honestly this i don't think at least the influences behind this movie exist without 2001 like this movie wouldn't have been the same without 2001 if oh, at absolutely all. absolutely yeah um but yeah i don't know mm-hmm. definitely um I, I wanted to bring up uh before we move on to another segment um i always like because like with 2001 uh i had mentioned uh the concept of you know like the perception of the the mentally unstable person, and you know how like how is the uh, was being lobotomized and right and all that stuff, and you have other films around that era like um, one flew out of the cuckoo's nest mm-hmm. and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I mean I, I I could definitely see in this film um, in respect to Roy's character um, that sort of um, that mentally ill person and. Is it's interesting in, in this film because it's reminiscent of um, Twelve Monkeys a little bit, in the sense mm. that everyone around him perceives him ha- as mentally unstable. Right. But in the, his the, mind, the, not yeah. not even in his mind. <clears throat> His the film actually justifies his mental instability. The film says it's okay that you're crazy because <laughs> you're right, sort of thing. So that's why I thought of Full Monkeys because it's the same thing, mm. you know. And so when I was looking up uh, kind of the um, the perception of uh, mental health uh, during that era, there was actually a. I, I mean, I just read briefly about it. And um, apparently there was a, a large movement away from uh, institu- institu- um, being institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Like people were going away from it. So I feel like in this, in the movies in this um, era, they're kind of reflecting this sort of... Um, um, like backlash to that? No, actually uh, support of not institutionalizing these people. Mm. like actually sympathizing with these people mm-hmm. and um, saying that maybe there's more to them than we just perceive them <clears throat> as crazy. Whether yeah. I don't know if I agree with that or not. I'm just saying it's just, it, it was very interesting to see in the, uh, in this movie about the, the justification of his behavior. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Uh, and I actually wanted to talk about this because uh, so when you think about, like the UFO community and the people that report UFOs, there are a lot of like Spielberg is definitely, you can definitely tell in this, like before this movie that he was a guy who found those reports and the people who have 
uh, quote unquote been abducted. Like he found that interesting. Right. Right. So <clears throat> I, I think he really wanted to kind of explore those situations and he, even how like the movie opens with like these scenes that like you hear about with uh, like the, the flight control guys um, when the, the plane. Yeah. Right. Like, the, the air traffic controls. Yeah, exactly. Like, I really like that scene a lot. Uh, even just how it's filmed where like you don't have to see what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. You just hear their reactions to it and you hear, you see and then hear the reactions of the flight control guys to kind of what's going on. And I just think that he kind of wanted to like dive into like the people who, you know, report UFOs and go through that. Uh, like he wanted to make those the lead character in a story. Exactly. You know yeah. I mean? So I, thought, I just thought that was interesting. That's kind of more of a like micro example of the macro uh, mental illness mm. thing. Cause those people are widely regarded as like insane and things like that. Yeah. So. And this, this movie is kind of like a, what if they're right? Like, you know, it's just kind of mm, like, you exactly. know, exactly. Yeah. yeah and then it's for sure. You know, it's, a, it's, it's okay to see these things because you, you could be telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that's that, that, that's really cool. Like I that just the first I don't know about the first time I, I can't really, but um I can't really tell if it if it was. But it, it's the same. Like I had the same reaction to with which both of y'all are saying. Like it's pretty crazy that he would focus on this group of outcasts or just people who normally in in life would be like literally just shunned to the side. Just like oh you don't know what you're saying. You're just mm-hmm. seeing things. But yeah, I mean the pretty whole cool. the whole scene where he. <clears throat> Goes outside of his house, um, Roy's character, I mean Roy, he goes outside of his house, starts pulling plants. Like, yeah, and it's, it's, we were laughing about that, It's it, but it's technically it's really, really like a heartbreaking a, it's scene. It's super uncomfortable. Yeah, too. it's like a... And, they, and, they, and uh, he makes a point of showing the people reacting to that. To him, he yeah. Wants, he wants you to get mm-hmm. the idea of oh, this guy is a fucking weirdo to everyone. Right, even yeah. Even though, uh, you know, like he knows... In his, you know, in his, or he doesn't, I should say, he doesn't know at the time. Yeah. Uh, but he knows what he needs to do to figure this thing out. You know, he had, he had a, uh, you know, what's the word? Epiphany. Epiphany. That's there you go. I, the, I just, the word epiphany was an epiphany just now when you said it. <laughs> Epiphanizing epiphanies. It's not, it's not, a, it's not. A, okay, I'm using the word wrong. <laughs> that's great. But, oh yeah, and I just wanted to say too, um, Kind of, I guess, jumping around back to context of the time because uh, we're jumping around all over the place. I thought we were still there, actually. Or, or are no, you going to do? Really, oh, okay. Sure, are you going to sure. do context of when, when it when it is in film? No. no. Oh, okay, uh, never mind. Just, um, this time was okay. So the fifties, sixties, seventies were the time for UFOs. Like that was when it was big. That was before. Everybody had, you know, like a cell phone. Every you could just debunk them. Actually, the nineties were pretty big too because. Um, conspiracy theories mm-hmm. were like yeah exactly uh but i mean that era that era was huge too like a lot of them came around at that time so i think that definitely ties into kind of the context for him wanting to write this script oh yeah time, definitely know? um i think in in uh the context of where it was too i think it's pretty awesome that this is like this movie um apparently along with um star wars and i think the other big 70s or late 70s sci-fi movie was superman the movie um 78 i think yeah 78 one one of those but like you know that those three movies basically brought sci-fi in out of b movie or also 2001 i guess too but 2001 was like maybe like a decade earlier or more than that yeah but those i guess those four movies like you know 
brought sci-fi out of b-movie territory which was like you know sci-fi dominated the 1950s because you know atomic era shit i mean you know nuclear war stuff giant ants well, and then the optimism of well that that too there was definitely that side but i think there was also this kind of american optimism during the time too when sci-fi was kind of in a golden age oh yeah definitely and but even like you know just the on the even on the cynic front which is like you know from day of the earth is still and shit like that yeah. um you know that the those movies kind of went away after after 1950 like nine and stuff like that and then they kind of like experienced a revival at first with 2001 and then it kind of went into these um you know to these like big grand adventures which are not low budget anymore like star wars and this movie and i guess superman you know the movie and stuff like that and then afterwards you get you know you, these paved the way for et um indiana jones which i don't know if it's still 80s, sci-fi yeah the 80s was chock full of yeah 80s was like a, a huge like you know almost like the 50s i guess like you know there was there was b movies and then there's a movies when it comes to sci-fi concepts mm-hmm. and i thought that was really cool because you know i guess spielberg is you know spielberg wasn't just one of the people and one of the people you know people responsible for bringing back the blockbuster or just inventing the blockbuster i guess with jaws he also like you know brought all this like sci-fi goodness back into um, back into the mainstream, which is pretty to, to awesome. To be fair, and like this is coming from a fucking uh, Spielberg fan, uh, okay. I think ninety-five okay. percent of that uh, was Star Wars. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> like, like I mean, he had probably a role in it, but I think it was Star Wars mostly. Really, even like ET and stuff. Like you know, I feel like even Star, even Close Encounters and ET, like was still beats out like maybe two thirds of Star Wars, like just a bit. Yeah, I mean. That's true. Because I do love Star. I mean, I, I love Star Wars. Like it's it's pretty. It's like the the original three movies. Like there, it's a great. Okay, what were you gonna say, Adam? There you <laughs> I'm go. Not, so. I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> I have uh, zero opinion about uh, Star Wars and. and <laughs> Sorry, we're getting. Yeah, we're getting. Off. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, I thought we're that was pretty cool. Off is what I said. No, you guys are totally. I just <laughs> I just got off right now. <laughs> Fucking George Lucas, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's the only time you're going to hear me get off to George Lucas <laughs> this time ever. Or any woman in his life ever. That's true. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, George. God, that geez. was so mean. That was so mean. That's not like me. Ouch. But, um, <laughs> well, anyways, uh, <laughs> um, let, let's do a, uh, let's go, let's go briefly over some, uh, signature moves that, um, like Spielberg's signature moves that he noticed in the film. Um, I know, I know you, Brent. You probably have a, you have a I few. Got some. Uh, what, what do you got, John? What do you catch? I got um. <laughs> pass it to you. Cool. Well, I mean, like, oh, oh, John. Pass it to Brendan. Pass it. Pass it to John. Uh, pass, it, pass it to me, and I'll pass it back. To, <laughs> pass it back to Brent. Just keep doing that We're for an hour. A bowl yeah. When uh, we start talking. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna hold the baton just for a bit, just here. Um, I uh, noticed that there's a bunch of um. I haven't seen. You know, I'm not really well versed in Spielberg now. Like just watching it and just noticing it but i know that like he does do a bunch of like uh wide lens shots um i i watched et not to be comparing movies and because we were talking about close encounters but i watched et recently and he um he has a lot of those wide shots where there's a mat in the background obviously like a matte painting and there's like you know a starlight or something like that but he always has like a huge wide wide lens shooting something where there's you you know the people in the frame look like ants. They're obviously doing something, but like, let's say they're coming out of a house, which in this movie, you know, a lot of that farmland scene where uh, Jillian and Barry, the kid, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like wide shots in that one. I also noticed that he likes to do a lot of like tracking shots, like where they kind of like not, um, I guess it's very different from from Kubrick's because Kubrick does do tracking shots too. Um, Very, very, very slow. Yeah, exactly. 
and he also does um something where like a, a technique where a person runs at the camera like i feel like he does something where like someone's walking towards the camera and it freezes oh, up totally. to a to a to a close-up like you know it can be a, a wide shot where like you know almost symmetrical like there's three people in the frame and there's a fourth person talking and then that fourth person is walking towards the camera and then the camera freezes right at his um at his face and i feel like that's probably a spielberg thing i haven't seen enough spielberg movies to know <laughs> or at least in like and not analyze them enough to to know if that's an actual thing but i feel like that um from watching close encounters and et recently like i feel like that's a that's that's definitely his thing yeah the the, the biggest one i noticed was um i mean i think we all picked up on it was the reaction shots boy mm, oh definitely oh, boy yeah, <clears throat> yeah. so many fun. reaction shots yeah. a lot of them from I'm like sorry, was that, non-speaking was that, rules. Well, no, but I mean, it's it's a it's a it's, good it, one to grasp onto. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was um, a bunch of people who are not pertinent to the plot <laughs> at all. But you know, I get it. No speaking rules, it. no nothing. It's yeah, cool. Like in the sense yeah. that you're it having matter, man. it doesn't matter. What do you? I'm saying it's cool. <laughs> I'm agreeing with no, this. no. I'm I'm saying I'm saying yeah, but it it doesn't matter in the movie that they that we don't know this, <laughs> so that's fine. Okay. Yeah. I thought we were supposed to be antagonistic towards each other. But oh, well, fine. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> hey, fuck you, man. Yeah. Hey, you're a piece of shit. Let's try an antagonistic <laughs> topic. <laughs> well, um, I, uh, I guess another thing that I saw was, like, remember the whole the whole time we were watching the film, I was like, where's Dr. Jones at? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think yeah. that's enough to know that it's definitely a Spielberg. So film. a signature yeah. move would be like John Williams, like scoring the, yeah. the place. Like, you know, okay, uh, yeah. that's a, definitely sure. a signature move. Dude, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, who's a better duo than John Williams and Spielberg? <laughs> name, name a more iconic duo. I'll yeah, wait. Exactly. That, that's, that's the thing I was trying to think of. Batman yeah, and Robin. Honestly, you're not going to find many. Like, sure. You can say, um, Paul and John. Oh, yeah, I guess uh, so. Yeah. You know, Stanley but, Kubrick and Stanley Kubrick's a good one. Uh, <laughs> that's just one person. Though. He has he has a head so big, he's two people. He's two people. Um, I mean, yeah, the signature movies. Like his movies, there are two movies in one. Hey. Hey. That's a, yeah, that's a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate point. No, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was going to talk about the reaction shots, too. Like, this movie has them like crazy and they're they're vital to kind of uh kind of understanding where the characters are coming from they kind of put you into the character's mindset when uh essentially when they're reacting to things like these kind of awe-inspiring moments like uh i mean the ending's the easy one which is like this 30 minute Mm -hmm. segment of just this incredible just like sequence of like first contact with the aliens and I don't know if that hand signal was supposed to Or it's like it just keeps zooming into their faces, like, just constantly. It, it, yeah. it also humanizes the extras, which is pretty cool. Like, you know, you don't yeah. get a lot of that movie. Like, if there's extras in movies, oh, what, in alien movies, there you go. Like, they're usually, like, fodder, like, cannon fodder for, like, mm-hmm. whatever, just to, you know. And boy, were there a, a lot of extras. In <laughs> yeah, this definitely. Well, I was actually, that ties into what I was just going to say, which is, like, there are these scenes, um where yeah the one with the most extras when they're in uh india right and then they're uh you know following this guy they're like uh where do you hear this sound where was the sound coming from they keep saying that because everybody's singing like this little melody and then they go over this ridge and then this guy asks this huge huge like just hundreds probably hundreds of people right 
he's like, where, where did the sound come from? And then they're off in the distance and they're just the only thing in frame. Right. And then you just see these hands go up into the frame. Yeah. And that's such a like iconic Spielberg shot. Yeah, exactly. And it's like this awe-inspiring, like, like the feeling that that wells up in you when you see it. And it's like, oh, I get exactly what they're talking about. Like, right. Something came from the sky and gave these people this melody. It's almost like it's it's kind of weird to say because it like it's a cliche uh, phrase, but it's like pure cinema. Like you know, you t- you kind of know what the fuck's going on just from watching that image, and that's exactly. like that's movie making. That's what it is. Yeah, like that, it's that's pretty awesome. He does he does that a lot. Better, <laughs> like, than, just, better yeah. than most. Yeah, that's sure. what I'm saying. Like I think we were joking about like saying the phrase was like he's kind of the king of the money shot when it comes to stuff like that because mm-hmm. it's just like you know he has. <laughs> he has yeah. amazing ejaculation no just no but like, <laughs> whoa no but he he like you know think of all yeah, this Matt, i i forgot how many cum shots there were in this <laughs> yeah. movie. i'm sorry I just ruined this episode uh, <laughs> uh, but, but think, stamp, yeah exactly like you you think of uh raiders you know you have a, a shot from there like you know where he turns around in, in the bar like you know where the shadow of uh, marion is in the background like you know mm-hmm. uh, that's an awesome that's iconic shot that's a big thing we talked about and then um you know this scene where like so many iconic shots in this movie like especially that alone yeah yeah the the mothership is the big one that stays in everyone's head also the the one where the spaceships are flying through the the street uh, the the truck with the uh, when the uh the light lights yeah first mm-hmm. come on yeah it. definitely the, the kid opening the door and like the lights coming in yeah definitely like, it's that scene everybody even, remembers like he even said um spielberg said that that's the scene that like you know he can sum up his his you know his career the most he says that um yeah he says i'm sorry for the tap here for the microphones um he said the image that always comes to mind when is when the little boy on the his most resonant scene basically um was when the little boy opens the door and all that orange light yellow light poured across him when i designed that shot and when i wrote that into the script for me that was very symbolic on what only a child can do is trust the light and he says like that's the basis of all of it like you know that if you have to sum up his career in one shot like that's the shot he's going to choose and that's i think that's pretty awesome wow that's really cool well shit yeah (laughs) so this brings us to our i think our our most fun segment (laughs) what would kubrick's version of close encounters of the third kind be Hmm. I feel like he would have a very melancholy ending. Like he would still leave his family, but his family would actually be there and mourn. You know, <laughs> like that's him a leaving. Because I was thinking just now, I was like, "Well, he would have him leave his family. Like he he would have his family be wrecked too. Maybe he would add another scene with like his family in the aftermath. Right? Maybe. Um, it wouldn't be played so comedically like it was in this film. I'd say." It'd be like yeah, it was a weird tone. It's because it uh, a weird tone. I think I think John Williams' score would it's a little too a little too, too optimistic, right there. Like it just, yeah. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit a Kubrick's uh, mo. It'd be a little bit more disturbing to see his um to see his psyche dissolve. You know, right? To, yeah. Um, obsession of the, the aliens. The you know? um for sure, like for. For sure, the stakes would have been higher at the end. Like the the military would have been present would, as hell. Yeah, yeah, would have been dropping like we talked about Agent Orange on people. It would have been uh, like the like the stakes would be super high, but they would be. Man, I don't know because this movie would fundamentally be different, and I'm trying to like reimagine yeah. how he would even approach this idea. 
I think I the know, I think um, Kubrick would have eased up on the family arguments as much. I think he would would have done them in a more a neater less, way. Yeah, neater. It, yeah, neater. It's way. It's messy in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he. This movie is definitely like the the beginning of Spielberg's like messy family scene. Like in E.T., you remember like the beginning with like um, they're playing D and D and the oh, moms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, just like a single mom, like all flummoxed and. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, he would have like definitely tidied that up, and uh, yeah, for sure. I don't know. What do you think, John? What do you think? How do you? Think would uh, well, I don't know. See, like it's 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 like what you were saying. Like this movie would have to change like fundamentally, like for what it was. I feel like if we're still trying to like a force like this vision onto like Kubrick uh it would it would it's still be sometimes. yeah it's like well, it's, it's the fun it's, part it's yeah. kind of like I, I feel like he would Kubrick would still tackle I guess the aliens would just be very much more ambiguous at the very end like if anything else and also like the family scene I feel like yeah he would have gone the extra mile and showed actual madness like overtaking well, <laughs> Richard Dreyfuss's character I, th- I think his kind of uh more pessimistic kind of worldview would have crept in and I think there would have been a military presence at the end. Definitely, yeah. Uh, there would be the aliens wouldn't have been friendly like the way they are. Like they would, I think they would come out and I don't know. Like their design would have been different, obviously, like super different. They would have been much more yeah. cautious. Yeah, exactly. Honestly. Yeah, like because in the this tension film, in that final scene, like there's yeah. already a lot of tension, but it's like, but you know, it's a, all right. Like, yeah, you know everything. Oh yeah, definitely, it's definitely. Not a negative tension. It's yeah. like a ooh, what's gonna happen next? It would have been like a fuck what's gonna happen next you yeah know, you know like it would have been like oh fuck somebody's gonna die or i don't know definitely yeah it would have been and like yeah and if he would have walked away with that like i still feel like if he would have walked away with that ending like if that spielberg went with went with um yeah there would have been like an actual aftershot of his family like really being like broken up over this like <laughs> like richard Dreyfus leaving and like i feel like that's where we, where we would have ended off on like not a, a really cool credit scene of this you know uh, uh oil, oil refinery in space just I've basically floating upwards i've got a pitch so the ship goes off and it becomes just like a twinkle and then it cuts to you you hear uh when you wish upon a star it's just like nah, 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 yeah nah. and then uh fade in on the family in like a living room at the grandparents house and they're just like huddled together crying Meanwhile, while you wish upon a star is playing, playing okay. yeah, that'd be like totally dark and just like yeah, <laughs> perfect. That is Kubrick, and it zooms in on a on a family portrait of all of them together. Oh, <laughs> so like it's just terrible. I'm almost, I'm like I am so debating to put uh, Doctor Strangelove because of all this perception of uh, of gloominess that Kubrick. Cause I, he he can be funny. I'm, most, I'm he, I know, totally, dude. I, I I'm mostly. I'm mostly bullshitting because, like, Barry Lyndon definitely changed my perspective of him a bit. But then again, the second half of that movie is very cynical. It's a goddamn masterpiece. It's really great. I mean, Strangelove still, I mean, as comedic as it is, it still is pretty cynical, like, out there. Like, it's still his MO, like, you know, his actual pessimistic view of of where things can go. Well, like, what I, of course, but talking about tonal tonal things tonal, like, yeah like the gloominess is what was being emphasized in the current conversation oh yeah definitely and then so, like the, yeah. you know that's that's, yeah. that's the only reason why yeah. i brought that i was like well maybe i should try something like get dr strange love or something. well i mean clockwork would do it oh whoa. <laughs> 
<laughs> that movie's a comedy. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> no, but I honestly can't wait to watch that. It's so. I mean, I, I, are we kind of wrapping? I just, are we? Is this kind of we kind of wrapping things up, or um, I don't know. What do you guys? Uh, what are your final thoughts? I guess. Well, you want me to start? Go yeah. for it. Oh, man, I'm probably gonna be the only one here, but dude, fuck it. You know, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's are a good movie. Like, like, it's not great. Honestly, right. like, I don't see myself. Um, watching this film anytime soon um i think that it's i mean there's nothing wrong with it being straightforward but that's not what intrigues me as a as a as a viewer right um i got exactly what it was trying to convey to me right off the bat mm-hmm. um i was uh there's a lot of redundancy to the film a lot of scenes that kind of rehashed the same thing over and over again, kind of just like, oh, there's this thing. We got to deal with this thing. There's different people around the world who got to deal with this. It was kind of like the same scene, just di- different um, different entities. Right. And then there was only the the um, the line that uh, stuck through the whole film was uh, Roy um, Dreyfus. Um, the... There's a what I did love about the movie was uh, a lot of great set pieces, especially I mean when the child uh, gets gets abducted, the whole mm. like in the house like it was a really great the scene. poultry guy scene yeah that poultry one yeah. Scene. yeah I was like is this a really fucking creepy. ghost scene like, yeah exactly haunted at I that mean, point it turns into a horror movie like right. for a bit and it's actually it's great it looks pretty awesome yeah it's like terrifying as fuck I mean although I don't see I don't I didn't see much of a it was cool, but there was, it had no point in terms of the plot. Like, it made no sense to me. Like, why are the aliens? Why is this happening? I see that. Um, because obviously the aliens are <clears throat> are decent fellows. Yeah. I don't. I don't see what was the point except for just entertaining the audience, which is not. It's not. That's not a <clears throat> bad reason, honestly. <clears throat> but in terms of plot, it, it didn't make any sense. Right. Um. Uh, it, it's uh, I mean, it's it's classic Spielberg. I can't, I can't, I don't think I could ever hate any of his films. But I, I just um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Well, that you you brought that up. <laughs> I didn't even bring that up, man. We're I'm playing both sides. Hey, there's now. some, there's some, there's some decent scenes. In I Crystal like Skull. what's happening. Wait, what are you? <laughs> like just a roller. I, I, yeah, I trick you into defending Spielberg. Like I that. love. I don't know when it comes to okay for for the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I love the concept. I don't know about the execution, but I was like, but I do I, like the best. The best scene in the entire film. I know we're sidetracking, but the best scene. <laughs> Was the uh, the the classic chase scene with um, when they're going through the college town? Yeah, oh, okay, that's it. Cool. That's that the only good great. scene. That seems because that's classic indie. Yeah, that's that's very true. But I do, I do like it. I do like the fact that someone thought of like or fuck Lucas thought of like Indiana Jones fighting aliens. I was like, that's a cool that's a cool I like concept that too. Me and me and you have disagreed on that. I like that. They I like that. That's awesome. Too. It makes sense. Fuck it. You already have Temple of Doom, which is about. Well, it's, crazy it's like I look at it from the the historical context point of view. Like you know, um, Raiders was a tribute to 1930s serial movies. Same thing goes for Temple of Doom. Same thing goes for like Crusade. That original trilogy was like a, uh, and then they exhausted their like you know their 
like you know they're, they're homages i guess in that in that sense to like you know making homages to serial movies and so lucas was like why don't we do 50s b movies like let's let's do a riff on that with indiana jones it made sense and, and that's and cool it sure didn't work out yeah yeah i mean yeah it's the history showed us that it was a good idea on paper but not like on yeah. on screen but i mean i i, I yeah, I don't enjoy that movie as much as the other ones, but like it's it's not bad. Like it's it's better than Eyes Wide Shut. There you go, shit. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa. Hey. So that's been a review of Kingdom of the Crystal. Sk- no, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, Eyes Wide but, Shut is not a terrible movie. Right? It's it's not it's true. Bad. It gave me a boner. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but it, okay. Um, give me just a boner. Real quick thoughts, yeah, there you go. Real quick thoughts on uh, movie we're talking about. Yeah, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, I really, really, really like this movie. Um, I don't even say I like love this movie, but I really, really like this movie. And um, just, uh, I don't know, just like uh, just the drive that uh, Roy Neary has to figure out kind of what's going on and like the purpose that these characters are like seeking out and their curiosity, like curious, if I had to pick like a theme that this movie really nails, it's curiosity. And like every character basically trying to get to this goal is like trying to figure out what's happening. That final sequence is amazing uh, with just like the music and like, it's just John Williams just completely just like iconic uh, in this movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's really great. It's one of my favorite Spielberg movies. It's pretty cool. Um, I <clears throat> I'm kind of new to this movie, so this was um this was a trip just watching it, even just for the second time, which is like you know I, I saw things that I didn't see the first time. Um, it's a really cool. Um, I don't know. It was a really cool experience for me. I, I hadn't seen very many alien films. I think I said that earlier, where the aliens aren't malevolent. And so, like, seeing something like this where, like, an alien movie, especially in the 70s. Well, then you just watched, or haven't even finished E.T. yet, right? I haven't finished E.T. And, like, E.T. is another one like this where it's kind of, like, it's, uh, you know, the aliens aren't here to to fucking, like, suck your blood or just, like, you know, or fertilize you over the, like, the landscape and stuff. They're here to get drunk off the beer in your fridge. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And (laughs) so... Which is a thing that happens in E.T. Yeah, it does. Holy shit. I I fell asleep right after that part. uh, Whatever. Anyway, um, this movie... (laughs) Um, aliens are here to get drunk off your knowledge in this case, uh, your musical knowledge. And so it was like really cool to see, um, see this movie. And it was like, um, like it's so bright and optimistic to me, which is really weird. Cause like I've always, yeah, I'm used to the sci-fi genre being a little bit like bleak and just a little bit, just a little bit Low cynical. Yeah, exactly. And this one, you can kind of see where I, like I, I'm familiar with Spielberg and I know he had that Amblin era of films and I feel like this is like that precursor to that Amblin era of films. Like I think E.T. is obviously the start, but yeah. like this is what started him on to like, you know, that, uh, that, Movies that like of that type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah like where, sure. where the extraordinary, and I do like that too. I always love that the everyman is put into an extraordinary situation. Like, you know, the, the main character is not a fucking, well, even if it is a cop, like the cop is, has to be like super flawed. Like the way this guy was, like this guy was super bored of his family apparently i don't know why that's a good trait he, he's but he's a super bad guy yeah like, he's, he's a, a bad <laughs> fucking character he's, like, he's a bad dude yeah he's a bad father very uh, very relatable human but bad father yeah and um you know and he's obviously like you know the circumstances like throw him into this you know extraordinary situation that he has to obviously pull through to uh you know 
to eventually like you know grow as a person and in this case grow to hate your family and just love your alien family yeah so i got with that random uh, chick at the end you know, there we I go yeah about that and boy he's a bad fucking yeah exactly like, yeah. He, <laughs> pretty like, fucking he, bad Man, like Spielberg in the late 70s had to be just like a sleazy a women, A womanizer, right? yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. for sure. Like, he was like a cocky rock star that's like, you know, just like, I'm, I'm full of myself. He I'm probably made out with ex. those two actresses, like, True, there on the spot. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. He was like 29. He yeah, was like definitely. fucking full of himself. And, yeah, yeah so like, I, it's not my favorite Spielberg film. I, I will go ahead and say that. Like, it's not, I think I saw it too late. For sure. Like it's um to me when I first saw it too I was like well well that was it like you know just a light show at the very end but I mean I've I've it's it's a good movie like I, I think when it comes to Spielberg's uh, Alien trilogy here which I like to call it like uh, <laughs> Close Encounters E T and War of the Worlds um, I rank it I mean because I haven't seen all and of E T right War now Warhorse you've seen Warhorse War War yeah my bad <laughs> that horse yeah end. that horse is not human like or it's not. <laughs> Obviously, it's not human, but it's not of this earth, that horse. Uh, nobody can challenge that idea because nobody's seen War Horse. So, <laughs> I have it. It's fine, but it's just a hilarious thing to do. Great flick, though. I thought it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, um, on that note, uh, I guess we'll wrap, we'll, uh, wrap things up here. Mm-hmm. What yeah. did you What did you think of the similarities to Arrival since you've been you know saving what? up to that? I was like, in my head, I was like, fuck, we forgot to bring that up. I, no, I want to let's now, go ahead and do but it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think this movie, and I didn't even catch it until this time because I saw Arrival between this time and the last time I saw it, so obviously. But um, yeah, man, this movie has a lot in common with Arrival. Just the way of it's a first encounter. It's The military is more involved in that movie, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, with like globally at least. Um, but... At the, at the end of the day, it's about communicating, and mm-hmm. it's trying to find the best way to communicate to this other species. And I, I don't, I don't know if a rival would exist without this movie. Like it has so many. Like this movie, while the ideas aren't as big, like for sure, they're definitely not as big as an Arrival. I think it definitely lays the foundation for kind of what that movie. I think I think Arrival um, is the perfect execution of the idea, rather than this movie. I can see that, yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true that Arrival may not have existed without Close Encounters, but Mm. Arrival was definitely the better execution of the concept. Yeah, I can see that for sure, yeah. So it's a good good double feature, pop in Close Encounters. Or just watch Arrival instead. (laughs) Well... Ouch. We, we talked about God yeah. for an hour, you cunt. Arrival was directed by uh, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> uh, I, will say this. I will say this. Denis Villeneuve cites Spielberg as one of his biggest influences. Well, so, who Spielberg doesn't nowadays? Stanley Kubrick love each other. So Did they really or no? Yeah, they did. I didn't know they, that. They've mentioned each other it's as a, like It's a very... shame that I can't say the same about us, Adam. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm a be- the best man at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was trying to get back into like fucking no shit talking mode, asshole. <laughs> you shit talking, but you're gonna suck. Never mind. <laughs> the the blue sweater you wearing is not doesn't look very good on you. <laughs> There's some tension here, guys. <laughs> and you, you smell oh. like roses. <laughs> And I don't like the smell of roses. Yeah. I hate roses. <laughs> I hate roses. 
Anyways. All right. Uh, well, any 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 uh, any final any little quick thoughts that we could, uh, Um, I mean, yeah, maybe... I was just gonna, I was just, I guess, gonna wrap things up by saying check out uh, Fam Films Movie Club. There you go. Sticker Fridge. It's uh, our other podcast <clears throat> that we do with the Sticker Fridge crew. Um, season two is gonna be starting soon ish. It's going to have a fun theme that we'll reveal soon if we didn't already. But, um, and then we have, you got yeah, oh, yeah. podcast. Um, yeah. If you guys want to check out revenge of the sequel, um, it's ongoing. It's pretty, um, it's pretty awesome. We give away some, uh, stuff on that podcast. Uh, it's, it's really fun. It's, um, a little bit more, um, uh, chaotic than any other podcast. You know, I've done. I mean, like I was, I was on it. I was yeah, on yeah, the, you, uh, East Ventura pet detective uh when nature calls podcast with you guys and it was a lot of fun yeah it is I had a lot fun. of fun um podcasting can with I, you guys can so. you can totally be on it soon you uh, you do want to do hellboy 2 fuck yeah, yeah. Like, cool. yeah. hellboy 2 you're, you're totally hellboy booked yeah. A masterpiece. yeah you're Absolutely. totally booked right now then fuck yeah and remember don't forget i want to do uh escape from la escape from la cool awesome we're both doing those this year so like you can totally be on it that's pretty awesome hell yeah um but yeah i think next week we're gonna be doing Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. I think that's what we're going. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, so uh, now I don't know what else I'm going to say we're doing. Clockwork <laughs> Orange. <laughs> uh, yeah. Next week we're going to do Clockwork Orange. And then just, we just keep uh, saying that back and forth next for week. infinity. Um, so next. yeah, that'll be up next week. We're going to have another guest. Uh, you'll see who that is when you listen to it. You'll and, hear who that is. Uh, you'll Yeah, you'll hear who that is. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Thanks for uh, checking out the Director Showdown. See you later. Later.